Welcome to Pick 6 Movies, a podcast where each season we choose six movies based on a central theme. Season 1 examines the work of Turd Ferguson, better known as Burt Reynolds. We'll take a look at the history behind the camera of these movies, tracing how and why they were made, before turning our attention to the film itself. Joined by my co-host and co-conspirator for several decades, Chad Cooper, we'll try to figure out what makes these movies tick and if they still hold up to scrutiny today. For Season 1, we have a bumper crop of Reynolds movies, ranging from animated family fare that isn't so family-friendly, to musicals about whorehouses, to movies about assisted suicide. Did I mention the last one was a comedy? Doesn't matter. Chad Cooper has selected for us a delightful little film this time around by the name of Stroker Ace. Following on the heels of Smokey and the Bandit, it has all the charm, car action, and wanton misogyny we've come to expect from Bert and his misfit gang, with director Hal Needham once more behind the lens to capture this portrait of excess. Enough of what I think, here to introduce his selection is Chad Cooper. And so, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode two, Stroker Ace. Stroke Race is the fifth action stunt car themed movie pairing of Burt Reynolds and Hal Needham. Following the success of Smokey and the Bandit, the duo teamed up for the stuntman spectacular film Hooper, Smokey and the Bandit Part 2, and the cross country road race movie The Cannonball Run. Believe it or not, Stroker Ace was an adaptation of a 1974 novel titled Stand On It. It was an autobiography of a fictional driver named Stroker Ace. The novel's authors, William Neely and Robert K. Odom, based the book on actual events from the racing world, but with a fictitious protagonist at the wheel. Much like Orson Welles created Charles Foster Kane as a thinly veiled biography of William Randolph Hearst, Stroker Ace allowed a deep portrait of the follies, fame, and fears that many NASCAR drivers had in the guise of masking truth within fiction. The book's title, Stand On It, is a racing term for when a driver presses the gas pedal as far as possible, thus standing on it. And the word stroker in racing jargon has a couple of meanings. It refers to an aftermarket crankshaft that increases the engine's stroke or length of the piston travel, which in turn increases the engine's displacement and therefore the horsepower. Uh, full disclosure, I have no idea what any of that means. Stroker is also a racing term for a driver who stays in the pack and does not try to race in the front, instead settling for a safe finishing position. Now, outside of the world of racing jargon, the term stroker has numerous other meanings, most of which are juvenile and or pornographic in nature. Hal Needham signed on as director for this movie. He said, quote, Even though I didn't ask Bert to star in Stroker, I knew his schedule was pretty full. He called me a short while later to tell me that he wanted to be in it. I guess Bert realized he'd have a good time working on the movie and that it would be a fun one for the people to see. Since I love working with Bert, I naturally accepted his offer. After all, Stroker Ace is the kind of movie Bert and I do best. End quote. In fairness, Stroker Ace was the only kind of movie that they really did at all. To make Stroker Ace, Burt Reynolds turned down the role of astronaut Garrett Breedlove in terms of endearment. 
Now, the character was actually written specifically with Burt Reynolds in mind by writer-director James L. Brooks. Reynolds reportedly loved the script for Terms of Endearment, but could not do the film due to his commitment to star in Stroke Race. The role of Garrett Breedlove instead went to Jack Nicholson, who then went on to win an Academy Award for his performance. Now, Burt Reynolds may not have gotten an Oscar for his performance in Stroke Race, but he did get a Lonnie. Uh, Lonnie Anderson, to be more precise. Stroker Ace co-starred the future ex-Mrs. Burt Reynolds, and the two would later go on to do voice work together in the animated film All Dogs Go to Heaven. They would also grace the covers of multiple issues of the National Enquirer and People magazine, chronicling a messy end to a five-year marriage that began five years after the release of Stroker Ace in 1988. Their marriage ended sadly in 1993. Now, veteran funny man... Jim Neighbors was cast as Burt Reynolds' comedic sidekick in Stroker Ace. Neighbors had played Gomer Pyle on The Andy Griffith Show and took this role to a spinoff in a TV show called Gomer Pyle USMC. Stroker Ace is one of three pictures that Jim Neighbors and Burt Reynolds made together in the early 1980s, including The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, Stroker Ace, and The Cannonball Run Part 2. Ned Beatty filled the role of the unscrupulous owner of Stroke Race's racing team. Now, at the time, Beatty was known for his roles in All the President's Men, and most recently had played Lex Luthor's bumbling henchman Otis in both 1978's blockbuster Superman and the sequel that came out two years later. Beatty's first career feature film was Deliverance, where he worked with Burt Reynolds. Beatty is most notably remembered as the one who is asked to, quote, squeal like a pig and subsequently gets raped by inbred hillbillies. Now, rounding out the castles, Parkin Stevenson and Bubba Smith. Stevenson plays a competitive stock car driver because that's something that all racing movies need. Now, at the time, Stevenson was best known for his role of Frank Hardy in the TV series The Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew Mysteries, which was an adaptation of the best-selling teen crime sleuth novel series. Now, Bubba Smith plays the towering limo driver to the movie's incompetent villain. Bubba Smith spent nine years in the NFL, and he played in Super Bowl III, which his team lost. And he played in Super Bowl V, which his team did not lose, giving Smith his one and only Super Bowl ring. Now, for about a decade following his retirement from football, Bubba Smith appeared in various commercials for Miller Lite Beer. He also appeared on numerous television shows in the 1970s and 1980s, but became most famously known for his role as Moses Hightower in the first six, yes, six, Police Academy movies. After his death, Smith was diagnosed to have suffered from CTE, a neurological condition generally related to concussion and sub-concussive head trauma. Well, let's get back to the movie, shall we? Stroke Race was filmed on location at the Charlotte Motor Speedway, the Talladega Super Speedway, and the Atlanta Motor Speedway in Hampton, Georgia. There are also a lot of famous racing names from the 1980s showing up in this movie, including, but not limited to, Dale Earnhardt, Richard Petty, Neil Bonnet, Harry Gant, Terry Labonte, Kyle Petty, Benny Parsons, Tim Richmond, Ricky Rudd, and Cale Yarborough. In many ways, Stroker Ace takes a little from all of the films that Needham and Reynolds had made in the past. It's a sampler's platter of previous actors, car stunts, and Reynolds even sports his signature red shirt that he featured in the Bandit movies. The movie also features a southern fried theme song, creatively enough, called Stroker's Theme by the legendary Charlie Daniels. 
which in my opinion bears a striking resemblance to Daniel's hit song, The Devil Went Down to Georgia. Even in the film's end credit blooper reel, Jerry Reed, who co-starred in Bandits 1 and 2, also makes a surprise appearance. Now, Stroker Ace was genuinely hated by critics and moviegoers alike. Vincent Canby reviewed the movie for the New York Times and called it, quote, the must-miss movie of the summer. The last paragraph of his three-paragraph review reads, quote, Nobody comes off well, especially Mr. Neighbors, and the usually game self-mocking Mr. Reynolds. Their material is terrible, and both men appear to be suffering from that strange show business disease, the most obvious symptom of which is that their hair on one's head turns increasingly dark and unaccountably thick with age, end quote. Now, Reynolds admitted in a 2015 interview with GQ magazine that throughout his career, he did wear toupees. Reynolds said that only in deliverance did he not wear a toupee. Quote, that was all me. That was my real hair. It wasn't much, but it was me. You know, if I had to do it all over again, I would do it natural. End quote. I personally find this very hard to believe. Now, in the same interview, Reynolds admits for much of his life, he was an asshole. This one I find much easier to believe. Stroker Ace was the only film to open over the 4th of July weekend in 1983, and it came in 8th place, behind, from 1st to 7th, Return of the Jedi, Superman 3, Trading Places, Twilight Zone the movie, Porky's 2 the next day, Octopussy, and War Games. Stroker Ace did receive five Golden Raspberry Award nominations, including Worst Picture, Worst Director, Worst Actress, and Worst New Star, both for Lonnie Anderson, and Worst Supporting Actor, which was one for Jim Neighbors. Did the movie really deserve all the bad press and awarding of such insincere accolades? Well, there's only one way to find out. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I give you Stroker Ace. Welcome to Pick 6 Movies. I'm Chad Cooper alongside my co-host, Mr. Bo Ransdell, and tonight we are going to talk about the Hal Needham Burt Reynolds cinematic pairing known as Stroker Ace. Out of the gate, Bo, I just want to ask you a question. How would you describe this movie to someone who had never seen it? Uh, I think I described it to you as the anti HR film. Uh, it is a movie that is offensive to anyone of not just modern sensibilities, just basic decency. <laughs> And uh, that's how I would describe it to someone. I would say it, it is a, an aberration, an affront to God and man. I think that it, it's also evidenced um, of, of how they're just going back to the same wells over and over and over again of doing the exact awful, awful things that they had done in previous movies, just in a wholly different offensive way for, for the exact same audience. Yeah, it, it's really a bit of a marvel. It's like they they took the worst parts of all the other movies they did and then made every all, all the other uh, ungainly sexism and racism and whatnot and just turn all that to 11 as well. Um it yeah, it it it, it it's a wonder to me 
that the movie got made. And it was this, like this ought to have been a real movie and it doesn't ever come close really. Well, it, it it was a real movie. It was just made about 20 years later and it was Disney's Pixar's cars. (laughs) Oh, right. That is true. I mean, that's it. You, you have a character who is an asshole who learns that he's an asshole and he stops being an asshole. And at the end, he has friends and he has respect and he has dignity and he has a championship and he is a hero. And this movie is the opposite of all of that. Yeah, the, this movie has no lessons to teach you, ladies and gentlemen. This is not, there is no moral takeaway. Uh, no characters are going to grow. If anything, they will regress some. It, it, it's head scratching to me. I think this movie is, is kind of a lighthouse movie in that it simply serves as a warning to others about the dangers of what happens if you, if you head this way. It's, I mean, it's just, it's just awful. I mean, they, they took the worst parts of every other film that, that Needham and Reynolds had made together, you know, found all the things that they had done wrong and then put them together into one film and said, yeah, that, let's put that on the silver screen. So, you know, let, let's, let's jump into it. So, so our movie starts off with um, a, a framing device that I hate, where children play uh, uh, adult versions uh, with the same sort of like uh, look and feel and habits that they're going to have when they're grown up. So we start off this movie, and there's a there's a young Burt Reynolds who ironically has this giant head of hair. I mean, he he looks. A lot like Beavis. It's it, in fact, it, I feel like the kid is wearing a wig that 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 is just overcompensating for the fact that Burt Reynolds has no hair in the future. I think maybe Reynolds insisted that the kid wear his current toupee. <laughs> hey, on top hey. of his regular child hair. Yeah, come here. Put this on your head. <laughs> <laughs> But I will say that that one thing that they do well is they establish that Stroker Ace as a character was an asshole since childhood. So he's combing his hair in the mirror. There's, <laughs> there's, com- there's comments about how he put a teacher in an outhouse and pushed her over. I mean, it's just like, like this child is just shitty and he's going to grow up to be a shitty adult. So, you know, we've got that going for us. He is a terrible, terrible person all through this movie. It starts as a child and because he's immediately, Running around with low lives from jump. He is uh, a vain criminal. Yes. But, but here's, I have so many problems with how awful this movie is. So we start <laughs> off, we have Stroker Ace with his big bouffant hair and he's in this old pickup truck and he's there with his best friend, Doc, and someone who will throughout the conversation this evening will be known as Doc's dad. And Doc's dad is running moonshine and Doc is there and he's wearing his overalls with one strap that's off, which I just, again, kind of doing research and I, I laugh at that term. The kid who plays Doc as a child is the kid from Close Encounters and the one who stands in the door in the iconic imagery. Oh, and yeah. It's like, boys. Yeah, it's that kid. And it's just like, man, your career really went downhill fast. I, I don't yeah. know what happened to this guy, but but it was just like, this is where you are now. He so was he, uh, Drew Barrymore without the pull up. 
in the twenties. He just could never <laughs> get the stick up. So, so we introduced Doc, and we introduced Stroker Ace, and they and his Doc's dad. They're running shine, and the cops are chasing him, and they're kind of running around. And then we transition to the future, where we see uh, Stroker Ace, and he's you know messing with his wig, and he's you know smacking his gum, and he's and the whole way through, and. And it's just, it's just terrible. And I also find it troubling in this film that, that we establish Doc and Stroker Ace and, you know, kind of spoiler alert, you know, Doc shows up somewhere around the end of act two, but it really feels like it should be a lightning queen tomater relationship. Like here they are as boys. Here right, it should be young- Lugs. It should be Lugs and his dad that he's in the truck with. Absolutely. And, and I thought that's who it was until Doc shows up. And I'm like, what the fuck is John Biner doing in this? Oh, he's the kid from the beginning. Right. If if you haven't seen this movie, let me unravel this uh, ball spoilers. of yarn that we're discussing here. Right. So we, we transition into the future. So we started out with a couple of white trash rednecks and their, their, their white trash redneck dad. And then we Moonshine go to the Moonshine. Right. And they're just, and they're all just shitty, awful people. And so we're in the future, and, and 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 as Bo points out, we then meet our first two characters, which is Stroker Ace, Burt Reynolds, and his partner in crime, Lugs, which you immediately think is the Close Encounters kid from earlier in the movie, but it's not. So how do we meet these two uh, um, awful people? Stroker Ace is driving a car that only has three wheels, and he's hustling to make it to a race. And so he's driving on three wheels and he comes screeching into the, to the, 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 like the grandstand area, which one it's not explained why he has, uh, uh, you know, three wheels. And it's also not explained, you know, sort of like his, 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 his reason of, of why he's running late. There's one other thing I also want to, uh, uh, talk about as well. And I'm, I think we're kind of bouncing around here a bit. Before we get to to the adult version of Stroker Ace, I, I was going to bring you back here if you didn't go. Yeah. So let's do it. There is an anthem, and again, this is a, a another element of other Hal Needham, Burt Reynolds movies where they sing a song to sort of explain the history of a character. And in this, there is a a anthem that is sung by Charlie Daniels that that i that as i've noted earlier is is really similar to the devil went down to georgia well that's because every charlie daniels song is similar to every other charlie daniels song you uh, the legend of uh, woolly swamp sounds like the devil went down to georgia sounds like stroker's theme it's all you know sh- Stroker was in and Stroker Ace was in a race and he was willing to make a deal. And then you get to the bridge and Stroker rising up your bow and it's all the same shit. And yes. I, but it's also appealing to me on a white trash level. And if Charlie Daniels approached me about doing a theme song, I would not tell him no. Are you saying you would like to have Charlie Daniels write a theme song about your life? I would. I would like to hear what the bridge was and also the last verse. We put him in the ground on a cold September day. I'm like, what the fuck, Charlie Daniels? What do you know? I wouldn't want him to write a theme about my life. It, I think it'd be too depressing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chad was on his couch watching Netflix. <laughs> Looking at a shitty movie. He was wondering why it was so bad. And he was thinking it smelled like duty. It's just, it, it, they're just, it, 
it's a really, it just, it feels like it's, it's just, it's the whole thing feels like a copy of a copy of a copy. Right. It's, it's the awful multiplicity clone, uh, that the, like the real stupid one that Michael Keaton turns into ultimately. Yeah. It's, it, it is that made film. It's, it, and, and it's, and it, again, it's just a watered down derivative shitty version of something that was never that good to begin with. Yeah. I, I've, you know, I've changed my mind about this whole season calling it turd Ferguson. Although, you know, <laughs> that's funny, <laughs> but <laughs> I think it should just be called low hanging fruit because these movies are terrible. Burt Reynolds is terrible. The problem with calling it low hanging fruit is that when you say like, Hey, look over there. It's a low hanging fruit. <laughs> like, like, God damn it. I just made a Burt Reynolds joke and I didn't mean to do it. Right. Fair enough. And like, yeah, and it's also a nod to the, the great norm. So Burt Reynolds, uh, stroker ace, and we're going to call him either one going through this <clears throat> shows up with his partner in crime played by Jim neighbors. And for anyone under the age of, I don't know, 40, whatever the cutoff is, <laughs> it's know, like Jim, 75. Really? It's like, it's, it's like between the age of, of, of dead and whatever we are knows Jim neighbors <laughs> is playing Gomer pile. And, and just when you see him, he, that's who he is. He, you cannot, he is so typecast as this character. It's the only thing I've ever seen him in this and a couple of random shitty, you know, bit parts that he plays where he's just doing a, 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 an anonymous version of Gomer Pyle. They come crashing in, uh, to the, to kind of the, the introductory grandstand where they're, they're introducing each of the race drivers that are going to be involved in uh, this particular competition. So we get a glimpse here of our nemesis, Aubrey James, who like it gives Stroker a real look when he rolls in on three wheels with Gomer Pyle, AKA lugs leaning out the window. And he's totally right. This is a real asshole way to enter. Like, this is the recurring theme of this movie, right? He's just an asshole throughout. This is the most asshole way you could enter the race that you're about to drive. It shows the most disrespect. Uh, you know, it is the most eye-catching. It's going to pull attention away from anything normal going on. It It's reprehensible. And when Aubrey James gives him the stink eye, I'm, I'm with Parker Stevens on this. I, I think that immediately Stroker Ace acts like a jerk, and it gets so much worse so fast. It, it completely goes downhill when he ro- not just rolling in on the three wheeled car. Because again, there there may have been things that had happened outside the scope of this film that we don't know about that were completely justified. However, driving over all of the parking cones that are being used to to direct traffic to one area or the other is just the behavior of a A class shithead asshole. And then when he rolls up and bounces on the stage, and again, there are numerous times as we talk through this movie where they look at the camera and just kind of wink. And they're like, remember Smokey and the bandit. And number one is the fact that he is dressed as the bandit. When he bounces up on the stage, he's wearing the red shirt. He's got the mustache. He's wearing the tight pants. Everything about it screams, this is the bandit just in another movie, which arguably it is. Do you think that this is the, like, is this the bandit verse where this is what happens to, he becomes Stroker Ace when he has to burn that whole persona. It's just so riddled with legal problems 
He's like, I can't be the bandit anymore. I'll be Stroker Ace. You know what? Again, it, it, if Netflix has unlimited uh, resources available to to just make crazy shit, I would love to see a Black Orphan universe where that character was was multiplied throughout the universe, and one of them is Bandit, one of them is Stroker Ace. You know what I mean? Like you just go through, like, oh my god, it's the same shitty fucking character. We've just let nature and nurture take over and just spun them out into the world. And at the end, they end up murdering each other. I, again, I would watch that. Yeah, it, that's certainly a better show than this is a movie. Without but, a doubt. All right, but yeah, so he rolls up on stage, mm-hmm. and there are, uh, I don't, were they beauty pageant contestants, or are they just car girls? They're just girls on stage. Yes, there are three women on stage, and the first one, he he clearly doesn't remember fucking. He's, you know, in his, in his, in his brief conversation, she's just like, you know, we fucked before. And he's like, oh, <laughs> number two. And the number two woman, he doesn't remember fucking her. And he's like, <laughs> number three. And the number three, he's like, oh, how about you and I get together and quote, kick the can a little later, which is funny because we've sort of put a G rating on the two of them having sex where the two previous is just like, this is gross. It's <laughs> right. really gross. Yeah, I mean, another way to get the audience on your side, make your main character the kind of womanizer that has no recollection of all the women he's he slept with. And, and, you know, I suppose there is a segment of the audience that will say, I don't know, man, that's pretty cool. I, 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 I try so much to make this movie about me just not being interested in the movie's subject matter. But it's just so villainously over the top offensive that it just wears me down ultimately. Like at, at this point in the movie, I was legitimately giving the girls on stage thing a bit of a pass. I think, I think you have to because if you don't, you just turn off the movie. Right. But, but right around the corner from this very moment, uh, we get the introduction to Lonnie Anderson. You know, here at the pits, and it's basically a bunch of race car pit crew and drivers using an air gun to blow up her dress, Marilyn Monroe style. Right. So that from jump, we understand, oh, she's not a person, everyone. Don't worry. (laughs) She is purely an object. It's not like it's one or two guys. There's like 30 dudes standing around blasting up her skirt. To, to to show off her underwear and her legs and they're just hee-hawing about it and it's just like like all right we're all having a good time humiliating her right guys sure yeah, yeah, like this is hilarious you know like everybody unbuckle your pants this is about to get real interesting <laughs> like what yeah I, it's like watching porn with other people i've never understood it like why would you cat call in a crowd so so l- l- let me let me introduce another character that you think is going to be important but isn't. Is Stroker Ace has a boss whose name I think his name was like Caddy or Curdy. There's a joke where they can't remember their own boss's name. Now look, I've had a lot of jobs in my life and if I repeatedly couldn't remember my boss's name and when he corrected me, my response was whatever, I would be fired. 
That that doesn't happen in this film. So this boss is again kind of a, a, a cartoonish character with a cigar in his mouth, and he's he's kind of like mur, 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 through all of his dialogue about you know how awful uh, Stroker Ace is, which the audience should rightfully be in agreement with. And then it's like he's like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna fire you. You know, you're not gonna be part of my team. I'm not gonna pay your bills and pay your salary. And so Stroker Ace pulls into a a, a, a parking lot, and he tells his boss like, Hey, we're, we're getting out here. And then, uh, Jim neighbors or Gomer power lugs, whatever you want to call him. They're like, he's like, it's nice knowing you, Mr. You know, Kurtz or coots or whatever. And then stroker ace proceeds to take the, uh, the, the funnel from a, a cement truck and smash it through the window of the car and begin to fill the car with cement. The way you would murder someone in at best a, a, a mafia style execution or at worst a Dick Tracy cartoon. You think Stroker drove for the mob? Is that how he knows this trick? But you're absolutely right. It, it is. He is one step away from an attempted murder beef. You know, all the things you're describing, like, like calling his boss by the wrong name. The cement truck thing is the moment where I jumped off board the Stroker Ace fan train. Where it's like, this guy's just an asshole. <laughs> I, like, he is you know, it, yeah, it just <laughs> blows your mind that the main character of a movie, a character that you are supposed to care about as an audience, is so far removed. It, it, like, the whole thing's cartoonish, yes, but it's it's somewhat grounded and this character behaves like a looney tunes character much like uh you know in in smoking the bandit the bandit is a looney tunes character but it doesn't feel right in this movie where there are honest to goodness race car drivers bouncing around it's somewhat i mean yes it's a comedy but there's nothing funny about anything that happens it becomes kind of a grim drama ultimately it, but it's just, it, it's one of those movies that it, it's just tough to wrap your head around every step of the way because it's constantly showing you shit that shouldn't happen in a movie. It, when, whenever you, you look at sort of the, the narratives that work in film of creating a character that is down on their luck, that you empathize with, that is, that is being repressed, excuse me, repressed in some way, that, you identify with this character, you know, it's the, you know, slobs or just snobs or someone down on their luck and you want to see them succeed. If you were to take that and then go into the upside down from, from stranger things, Burt Reynolds would be waiting for you, um, you know, with, with a bunch of, of pornography and, and, and just like loaded shotguns. He's just, <laughs> he's just a horrible piece of shit. He is the opposite of, of a empathetic, identifiable protagonist in a film. He, he should be the villain in every movie. In fact, we could probably go through and name 25 other films where he is the bad guy. I mean, whether it's, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, um, you know, Iceman in, in Top Gun. You know what I mean? Of yeah. just the, yeah. the arrogant shithead asshole of like, like, I don't like this guy. He's Shooter McGavin from, from happy Bill, or not. Yeah. Happy, happy Gilmore. Gilmore from happy Gilmore. It was just like, that's who this is. But instead it's like, no, 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 he's the good guy. And it's like, no, he's not. He's an asshole. Yeah. He's the other cops in everybody cop movie 
that is a little too flashy and a little too superficial and you hate them right rightfully and so but, but here's the other thing that's terrible about him after he pours cement into his boss's car whose name he can't bother to remember <laughs> he's awful and his boss rightfully is like dude you're fucking fired man <laughs> If I did that, then my boss, I would get fired. Yeah, right. <laughs> Though, again, grounded in some reality, this movie, where the boss behaves like a logical human being. But immediately, Stroker turns to bitching and moaning about the fact that this guy fired him. It's like, what did you think was going to happen? What world do you live in where you can go up and smack someone in the face and have them say thank you for it? So... So enter our villain, uh, Clyde Torkel, who is played by Ned Beatty. And I argue that he's the, the one actor in this film who seems like he's at least having a bit of a good time. As an actor, he's not phoning it in. He's the Jackie Gleason of this film. He is the one who knows what movie it is and is having a, a good time with it. Absolutely. So, so let's enter our villain. So our villain, I'm presuming, has heard that Stroker Ace tried to murder his last uh, sponsor by filling his car with cement and then just yeah. leaving him to die. So then he sinisterly uh, approaches him and says, I would like to pay you money to drive this stock car with my company's logo and and uh, catchphrase uh, written across it for a handsome sum of money. As most villains do. And, um, right. So, so Stroker Ace is given this comedically huge, uh, contract that, you know, as a, a, a audience participant, you're thinking, uh oh, I'll bet there's something in that. But we later find out in the film, there's really not. It's just like, look, you're working for me. I want you to be the spokesman of my product. In this case, it's fried chicken. I want you to make television commercials. I would like for you to show up of openings of my new restaurants. And I would like to put the advertisement on your car. There is nothing about him that is remotely sinister. Well, not in public. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Well, yes. But, but you're right. He is... A guy offering a job to someone, and yet the worst you can say about his character is that he rushes Stroker through the contract signing, but I tend to believe that Stroker's goddamn fault that he didn't stop to read the contract. He just flipped through it. Hey, why, why is this all blank? <laughs> you, you know, you've got the contract upside down, you asshole moron. And when he finally does turn it, right side up he thumbs through a couple of pages and signs it that's stupid that's on stroker ace if i uh -huh. give you a contract that is comedically 400 pages long after saying i'd like to do and you immediately sign it that's on you you're a shithead yeah you fucked up <laughs> that's not me i could have put the most horrible deviant things in there and he signed it like you know what we're good Right. I mean, he clicked through it like it was an Apple agreement, you know? He was just like, yep, yeah, fine, whatever. <laughs> so, anyway, that, uh, we'll get into all that nonsense here in a bit, but it is frustrating that all the roles are reversed. Like, Ned Beatty is a villain in that 
he makes Stroker adhere to the terms of his contract. And that's it. That's all he does in this movie. No, he, as far as, as far as signing the contract, I'm saying as a villain, if he is this film's villain, outside of legally enforcing the contract, Stroker Ace has signed, and one regrettable scene later, what does he do in this movie that makes him the villain? Nothing. There, there's nothing about him that's villainous at all. He's just a pretty legitimate businessman who's looking to have arguably the best stock car racer represent his company. We have to have a party scene, uh, which is basically uh, Aubrey, the other villain of this movie, question mark, maybe. Uh, they're like they're at a bar. Aubrey's won the race. Uh, this is going back a, a slight step, but I just wanted to point out this moment where Aubrey is dancing with some girl that Stroker apparently dated or look dated fucked right and, and Aubrey uh is like as the champion is rightfully taking his spoils I suppose but uh, Stroker is behind him trying to get the girl to stop dancing with him and come fuck him and when the girl is like hey I'm with this guy, like Panama I mean like what are you doing don't be an asshole and then Stroker just starts faking some kind of wound until the girl leaves Aubrey to go join him, I guess, in the bathroom for a toss. You know what's crazy? He, yes. He fakes his injury and, you know, the girl comes after him and then Lugs, Jim Neighbors, is watching this whole thing and he's he's rolling his eyes, not even in comedic fashion. It's just... It's just embarrassing, you know, of like, like watching him, him perform this, this act of pantomime in a way of like, you know, pretend to be embarrassed. And then at the end of it, one of the things that I noted <laughs> was that at the end, after uh stroker ace walks off, you know, with this woman, um, uh, lugs, uh, looks at the bartender and holds up four fingers. Like I want four more drinks. And it was just like, you like, well, what is wrong with you? <laughs> well, he is a tragically sad character in this film. All he does is play second banana to, you know, a notable asshole. He is very Christian with someone who clearly is not. Every time he tries to sing, his boss makes fun of him. Like he's got some kind of uh, Stockholm syndrome or something. I don't know where these two hooked up and what what eerie power Stroker has over him. But by all accounts, he seems like a decent enough guy, I guess. I, you know, I would argue that you find me someone in this position that doesn't develop a crippling drinking problem. <laughs> so, so, so after Stroker um, signs his contract and his car is then rebranded with the chicken pit um, advertising. And then there is a quote that's added to it, which is fastest chicken in the South. Now, the only person that I can think of who would be <laughs> as pissed off at this phrase as stroker aces would be Marty McFly. And beyond that, there's no one else that should be this upset 
at having the word chicken associated with them. You stole my joke, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm the best that's ever been. <laughs> uh, no, uh, so you're 100% right. It, it, no one else in the history of anything has ever been offended by being called a chicken, especially if you, by sheer luck, you manage to, I assume, uh, avoid that attempted murder rap. You know, I know some people on the force. I gave them a hundred bucks. <laughs> they can make it go away. Like loses that job and then immediately is hired. How fortuitous is that? And then the first thing you do again, it's the constant bitching he does in this movie. Immediately. He's just like, look at this on the car. <laughs> I can't chicken. I can't be called a chicken. It, <laughs> and better yet it says the fastest chicken in the south that implies speed that seems like uh it it drives me fucking crazy watching this movie so so stroker stroker uh begrudgingly <clears throat> wins the first race again because as noted throughout this film he is the best driver ever and then after the winning, and I also like in this movie that whenever they win, you know, a major NASCAR event, they go to like, like the, the, the lobby of a La Quinta to celebrate. <laughs> right. And it's also weird. Again, I know nothing about like the, like late seventies, early eighties, you know, architecture or, or interior design, but it was really weird how in this movie, the carpet crept its way up onto the walls like that, that, that green shit from, from creep show. You know what I mean? It's like, uh-huh. like, where does this end? And then it bleeds its way into the clothing. It was like, there's a lot of red in this movie. So, so they're in there and, and Burt Reynolds ends up, um, uh, going upstairs to have sex with the first um, whore who he didn't remember having sex with it, it, when he rolled up on three wheels. And then there's a moment in this film that is one of those like, like RCA dog, turn your head. What moments where we then cut to lugs who is Jim neighbors. Gomer pile is standing at the bar and a woman comes up to him and, and begins to hit on him in, in a somewhat aggressive fashion. Now, I know what you're thinking to yourself right now. That sounds weird. And it is. But what makes it even more bizarre is that the woman who is hitting on him is none other than Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Yes. I, uh, I'm always happy to see Cassandra Peterson in a film. Yes. The question is, what the hell is she doing in this movie? Well, let's... Remember, just the year before, in a little movie called Jekyll and Hyde Together Again, she had played the character Busty Nurse. Now, this is after she started doing Elvira. Like, Elvira was her TV gig, and then she would pop into movies, but it was always just like, show us your tits. And then she did. That was her whole gig. Yeah, she shows up, she was in this, uh, she was in The Sting 2, uh, and like Pee Wee's Big Hold on, hold on a moment. She's in The Sting 2? She is uh, She is credited as O'Malley's girl. In fact, she had the trifecta, 1982, Jekyll and Hyde together again, she plays Busty Nurse. All the right, Sting let- 2, 1983, O'Malley's girl, Stroker Ace, 1983, girl with lugs. Clearly you've done your homework. But my question is, is she playing Elvira in those roles? No. It no, she just shows up and it's just like show us your tits, and then she does. 
But in this movie, she's Elvira. I mean, she's dressed as Elvira with the boobs and the eye makeup and the hair and everything. She wandered onto set. She heard they were shooting. <laughs> and they were, they were just like, hey, what are you doing here? When we get into it later, like when Jerry Reed popped in, I'm surprised he's not in a scene in this movie. Why is the monkey in this movie? <laughs> I would watch a movie with Jerry Reed, Elvira, and a monkey. I would pay $100, and I would be in a tent <laughs> camping outside a movie theater if you told me in six weeks there's an Elvira, Jerry Reed, monkey movie coming out. <laughs> how how much do you how much more or less do you pay if they tell you it's NC seventeen? I would I would walk away from my microphone right now and head straight to the theater. And I would I would triple my my uh ticket fee. It, <laughs> I, it's, would, I would put money in the movie. I would somehow invest in it after it was filmed. You know what? Put a Kickstarter out there and you could probably get a couple of million dollars. Hell Netflix might come throw a couple million dollars in just to see if they can uh if they can get it off the ground. <laughs> so we haven't talked a lot about Lonnie Anderson's character in this, and 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 I'm going to respectfully ask that we just call her Lonnie Anderson because I don't really remember her character's name. Is that um, she is Clyde Torkel, our 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 sinister benevolent chicken shop owner. She works for him and is the head of of marketing and advertising. I think they said that she started out as like his assistant, and then um, she's now in charge of, of of essentially everything that Stroke Race will will do in conjunction with um, the chicken pit. So Lonnie Anderson goes up to Stroker Ace's room and uh, is going to show him kind of the the marketing and advertising plan because that's what you do as your job because you are a professional. And Stroker Ace immediately says, quote, do you talk like that all the time? End quote. A second quote, your voice is weird, but in a very nice way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, he has to be awful to her uh, from jump. But yeah. And, and also, she doesn't talk like that. You know, Lonnie Anderson, I go back to WKRP here. WKRP Lonnie Anderson talks like a normal human being. And I don't know why she's using this affected voice because, look, you're in the movie. We already think you're stupid. And that, but the, here's the thing: is that in this role, she's not stupid. I mean, she's showing sales figures saying that you know that this company was second only to you know Kentucky Fried Chicken. That we're a legitimate you know contender in the the growing uh, fast food uh, you know kind of chain wars of 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 deep fried garbage and she's again a legitimate character but she talks in a very kind of utsy staccato way however i will say and i've watched this movie three times recently she's the only one in the movie that is probably behaving like a normal human being mostly there's a point by the end of the movie where it's like oh yeah she's just so abused at this point She's just not thinking clearly. If you anymore. <laughs> if you ignore the script and you watch her, if you if you view it through the lens of she realizes that everyone around her is an obnoxious asshole, misogynistic piece of shit, that her curtailed demeanor is really just trying to get through every single breath that she takes without uh -huh. stabbing someone in the neck with a pen. I think that she's probably the most honest character in this whole movie. Yeah, I, I think Lonnie Anderson isn't terrible in this. I think her character is bad, but I 
I don't know how much of that you can pin on her. Was it her idea to have the stupid voice and be <laughs> reduced to just the character that almost gets raped a bunch? I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't have the answers to these questions, Chad. Well, to to, to underpin that, if you immediately met someone who's going to be the the marquee advertising uh, face of your product, and he's asking, you know. How many times have you had sex? How are you a virgin? You're, you're not married. What do you mean? How do I get you in the sack? And she sort of stands on her morals. You know, again, she's a terrible, uh, terribly written character. But I, again, rewatching this numerous times, and and I can honestly say this will be the last time I ever watch this movie ever. It's it's just <laughs> that bad. But having gone through it, it's like you know what? Like like considering you know she's a stranger in a strange land, she's doing the best with what's going on around her. One quick note about her virginity, because we you, you skipped over that a little bit, and I think that. The focus the film places on this is worth a note. She, when, when Burt Reynolds finds out that she's a virgin, it blows his mind. It, it, the, the concept that she has never had sex, the way he puts it is it's like keeping a Ferrari in the garage. <laughs> he can't get over it. He's, he, he becomes obsessed with her deflowering this is a marquee de sod story almost of like i have seen purity and i must destroy it well when when he's talking about her being a virgin and and wanting to have sex with her and to just just to 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 extrapolate uh, on your observation of his comments you know what he says is if you had a ferrari you wouldn't keep it in the garage and not drive it and then if you had some wild turkey, you would not drink it. And if you had O.J. Simpson, you wouldn't. And then he gets interrupted. And I really, really wanted to hear where that follow-up goes. <laughs> do, do you think he had some vague inkling of what was to come? I was hoping it was going to be that, you know, if you had O.J. Simpson, you wouldn't, you know, give him a knife and let him come up two horrible double homicides and then be found not guilty, but then found guilty in a civil trial and then go to prison for um, attempting to steal back his own memorabilia only to get out um, under a political climate that would make his, uh, his, his, his roaming the streets seem inconsequential to larger social issues. <laughs> So after we've gone through Lonnie Anderson not being a whore and not wanting to have sex with uh with uh Stroker Ace, um our trio of Lugs and Stroker Ace and Lonnie Anderson all hit the road and they're gonna go off to a uh a, a chicken pit opening. And in it we get to see Jim Neighbors sing Amazing Grace, which at this point in the movie, I kept waiting for lightning bolts to strike one of them dead. Um, unfortunately it didn't happen, which my guess is that they were on a sound stage that, that prevented this from occurring. But even in this, <laughs> with a lightning right. Rod. So, but Stroker Ace, as he's singing, as he's singing Amazing Grace, Stroker Ace tells him to stop and tells him to shut up and then tells him he looks weird when he sings and how his lips are off to one side. And really at this point, he's not making fun of lugs. This is Burt Reynolds making fun of Jim Neighbors and the way that he positioned his lips while he sang. Yeah, it it has become a roast 
of Jim Neighbors and not a scene. And I mean, he's not wrong. Jim Neighbors does sing kind of weird, but but that's why it's funny. It's uh, you know, it's a dig at a pal uh, here on the dais with Don Rickles and Dean Martin, and I mean, it, 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 like that is the stroke array sense of humor in this movie. Is I'm going to say something offensive and cutting about someone, and and it carries through. Like the bandit did that too with Lil Linus being short and. Uh, Sally Field having fat calves and all that stuff, you know, like throughout it, it, just like we were saying earlier, it just takes that shitty behavior and turns it up to 11 in this movie. So Stroker is, is forced because he just blindly signs this contract. He has to go around and, and cut ribbons at chicken pit restaurants. And, um, one thing I wanted to note, and again, Yet another element of this film that completely looks at the camera and says, remember how much you love Smokey and the Bandit? Well, we do too. The bridge music between scenes when you see them traveling around sounds just like Eastbound and Down. It's unmistakable. When you hear it having watched Smokey and the Bandit, you will put the lyrics to Eastbound and Down into the music that is being played as you know, their cars traveling from chicken pit restaurant to chicken pit restaurant, or or am I the only one who who heard this? No, I, I don't think you're wrong about that. I, this whole sequence is frustrating to me because it's none of it's funny. In fact, I wrote in my notes, none of this is funny at the, during this sequence where. The, our characters are traveling around together, and in theory, in a real movie where plot and character interaction mattered, you establish your character of Stroger Ace, who gets fired unfairly, not like what happens in this movie, and gets picked up, you know, has to has to kind of claw his way into another shot at the big time, and the way to do it is to send him down the ladder a little bit and make them go on a circuit that is all these rural towns. But because who gives a... But that's not what happens. He, I know it's tra- not what happens. I'm saying that's what ought to happen. Yes. He, here's what happens. He, 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 he attempts to murder his boss and then is rightfully fired and then immediately <laughs> has another shithead show up and say, I'll let you work for me. And he blindly signs a contract and says, okay, then we look at what he has to do for this contract, which involves traveling around, opening up restaurants and making commercials where he has to dress in a chicken suit, which at that point, it's like, look, that is the last straw. And it's also weird in the narrative of this film is that once he's dressed like a chicken and he's making these arguably degrading commercials Lonnie Anderson's character says you know like it's not very dignified is it I can't believe that he has to do this and then she's just like you know what I'm on his side now he's such a noble honorable man he shouldn't have to be forced to do the kind of work that my job forces him to do yeah well and the other thing I was gonna say about this uh this whole sequence where they're on the road and he's doing the press and all that stuff it takes you away from what the character is supposed to be about which is being this great race car driver and instead he's just in the chicken suit and stuff in a bunch of scenes that again aren't funny so they're not delivering anything to the audience it doesn't say anything more about the characters i I know i'm thinking about this too much i apologize for applying this kind of analysis to stroker ace a movie that clearly does not give a shit 
about itself, so why should I? So so once Lonnie Anderson and Stroker Ace and Lugs have realized that this is terrible, they were like, you know what, then let's just take it to the extreme. And they show up at a race and Stroker comes riding in on a giant egg dressed as a chicken and everyone in his pit crew is dressed as chickens. And Lonnie Anderson is wearing, I'm, if I remember correctly, like Daisy Dukes and showing off her ass and her boobs. And, and they come in and it, this is supposed to embarrass their boss. Which I guess in, in the narrative, like at first he's like, are they trying to embarrass me? But he just leans into it. He's like, look, any publicity is good publicity. So Torkel's like, I love it. This is great. It kind of backfired and blew up in your face. This is making you look more ridiculous. And also, if you're the owner, like if you're uh, Fred Torkelton in this in this movie, why would you not want him to drive in the chicken suit? Sure. I mean, that's going to make the news. That's, that's free, free publicity. I think that like, and he says like, well, this, I know he thinks he got one over on me. And the whole time I was like, how, what did he do? That was somehow against brand. Nothing. There's nothing about that. I mean, if you could win dressed as a chicken, which in this case, he doesn't, he loses. And then the car kind of crashes. And there are a lot of moments in this movie that are um, uh, like we've talked about these movies really having elements of, of Warner Brothers cartoons that when his car crashes, there's this wah, 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 and it's just like, where, where did that come from? There's another moment in the film. I, I, I may have it in my notes where something happens and there's a, a, a really pleasant born. It's you know. what, it, it's what they're talking to Aubrey, like after they lose and, uh, they're, they're talking about Aubrey James or whatever. And, and someone says, well, you guys came in second and he and, uh, Stroker Ace and Lugs, turn to the speaker and say simultaneously screw second. And then there's the boiling. I don't know why it, yeah, it, it comes out of nowhere and I don't understand <laughs> why they, it's the like you, that time in one other time that they throw in a goofy sound effect. And I, I don't get it, man. I don't know whose idea it was. I don't know if Hal Needham is just like, you know, what's funny boings. Well, that's, it's kind of the, the cinematic equivalent of a laugh track. You I mean, you're able to let people know like that was a joke. Now, <laughs> right, I just want to say the dialogue sure won't. N- no, or, or the acting or the editing or anything. However, the funniest moment in this whole movie is about to happen. And if you blink, you'll miss it. So Stroker races in the chicken suit and he loses and there's the wah, wah, wah. And then our villain, Aubrey James, wins the race. However, because Burt Reynolds is playing Stroker Ace, the crowd loves Stroker Ace. They are in his corner. They want him to win, which, again, is the upside down, inside out, awful backwards world of how this movie should be presented. You know, you should sort of lose the audience, gain the audience. Like, you know, watch a Rocky movie. It'll, it'll, it, it's a paint by numbers. However, when Stroker Ace loses, the fans are all booing. And if you, if you blink, you'll miss it. But there's a scene where the fans are so angry and they're all giving the finger. And I, I actually, uh, paused the film to count how many, uh, middle fingers I could count. And there were five of them. But on the left hand side of the frame, there's a guy with a 1970s, a white guy, 1970s, uh, big afro. And he turns around backwards in his blue shorts 
and sticks his hand in his ass crack. And he does this one handed Ace Ventura where he makes his asshole <laughs> like, like open and close. And it's the greatest thing ever of just showing your displeasure of who won a sporting event. And I want to say that in the other hand, he probably either has a beer or a tin of skull or a pair of brass knuckles with his wife's initials on them or something like this. But it's just, it was the greatest moment in watching this movie that really made what felt like six hours. Maybe it was 90 minutes all worthwhile. <laughs> I, I, I missed that moment. I will go back and look now because as you know, there is nothing I like more in a movie than random ass grabs, uh, from extras. Yeah. And the other thing is that there are a lot of shirtless dudes in this movie, um, in the crowd. I don't know if that was a cultural thing or whatever, but in watching, it's like, there are a lot of guys just walking around in, in denim shorts that were cut off by their, their, their stepmom. And it's, 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 it, for me, it was, it was almost unsettling. And, um, I'm not sure what to make of all that. Yeah. It, it's pretty great. I, I, I had the same thought when I was watching the movie. And you see those panning shots of the uh, race car crowds, and I don't know if the, is this NASCAR. I don't, I don't know nothing about racing. Yeah, this would be and- NASCAR. So back in the day, it was the Winston Cup Series, and then, um, in then it switched over to like the Nextel, and then it's just sort of you know grown beyond that. So yeah, it's it's essentially kind of the stock car, um, you know, kind of the 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 upper echelon of uh, of, of of racing at least here in the United States. Yeah. So seeing. Be uh, afroed gentleman wearing like a baseball cap, mm-hmm. bandana tucked yep. into the cutoff denim, yep. t shirt maybe thrown over a shoulder, probably lost. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Seeing that and then imagining what it would be like to go to a race now, it's a real, you know, that's what I thought. It, I, I've never been, but if I walked in and that's what I saw, I'd be like, yeah, this feels right. I think after watching this movie, it's, it's the opposite of what happened to air travel. You know, back in the day, it was a very glamorous thing where people wore suits, you know, and, and, and dressed in their finest clothing to travel by air. And then slowly over time, air travel has become, uh, the equivalent of traveling by, you know, bus, you know, you wear, you know, like, like flip flops. Yeah. Just like, like you just wake up and go to the airport and you fly on a plane. Everybody's cool with that. However, I think in this case, having watched this movie, I think that NASCAR's kind of stepped their game up a little bit. I mean, people at least now wear shirts. You know what I mean? That that you know to show they? The, to show their displeasure, they they are not spinning around backwards and exposing their gaping assholes to the crowd. Um, I think that there's there's a little bit more dignity um, than what we see in this film. Do you think at some point, like Larry NASCAR, had to send an open letter to the fans? It was just like, look, we're trying to get on television. And we can have a maximum of 4,000 nipples in a single shot. Male or female nipples. <laughs> Male or female. Nobody's discriminating here. <laughs> Except everyone is. But at the end of the day, we just, <laughs> we just need to make sure that every, it, it's NASCAR has become no, no shoes, no shirt, no service. Everybody cool with that. And then everybody seemed to be, they were like, can we still drink? And will there be crashes? Oh, most certainly. Well, then we're we're still here. Sure, you have to have some guidelines, or else it's just anarchy. <laughs> right. It's it's like America with no apple pie. 
So after Stroker Ace loses, dressed like a chicken, he goes back to his hotel room and, and Lonnie Anderson shows up and he has to be informed how glasses come down from the hanging position above a bar. And, and I don't know if, if he's, I'm not sure if, if, um, that he suffers from some level of, of like, uh, mental cognitive capabilities. I mean, the, the, the way you would give like a monkey, um, you know, kind of like a, uh, some sort of puzzle game that like, I can't figure this out, but she's like, no, 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 you know, you have to slide the glasses to get them out. And the look on his face is just like, yeah, like he, he just got it. <laughs> it, it just like, like, what is wrong with it? Like, this is a man who drives a car, but yet you can't figure out how these hanging glasses come down into your hand. And then after he, he pulls down the two champagne glasses, he, he comes over to, to Lonnie Anderson and he's talking to her and she says, how's lugs. And then hilariously, Oh, he tells her that lugs is dead, which she <laughs> believes because she's a normal human being, not thinking right. this is a joke. And then he's like, Oh no, no, no. I'm just kidding around with you. He says, I kid with girls. What do they know? She's the director of marketing for a company that is second in line to the fried chicken crown in the United States of America. He's just an idiot. Yeah, we can get her right out of that position of responsibility. Don't worry about it. We got this covered. This movie is going to take her right out of that position of power. Right. So, so then Dumb and Dumber. So he, he pops up some champagne and she says, I don't drink because as noted earlier in the film, she's a Sunday school teacher. And I guess Sunday school teachers don't drink. Don't ask any of my Sunday school teachers because glug, glug. But he's like, hey, I've got some non-alcoholic champagne. It looks like the real thing, even right down to the label, which I've heard some really shitty lies in my life. But that ranks up there with being the shittiest of the shitty lies. So he's like, but it's it's the first of, of two attempts to get her drunk with the pure intention of fucking her. Yes. Yes. It, 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 he, he was like, he, so he, when he says, you know, let, let me begin to, to ply you with alcohol and they haven't eaten. So look, we're on the fast track to, to whatever town he's going to. And then, you know, he asks her, you know, why do men race? Let's get philosophical about this. To which she responds, I don't know. And, and I don't think a truer statement is made in this film <laughs> beyond that. And then he goes in and he says, you know, when I was a kid, I had this friend of mine named Doc. And for everyone who's watching this movie, you're thinking, oh, yeah, I remember that. That was the little, like, barefoot poor kid from the beginning. And he just sort of, like, touches on that, like, for, for no reason at all. And then here comes Lugs, uh, you know, stumble bumming in to, to cock block him and um, essentially prevents Stroker Ace from, from fully committing sexual assault, at least at this point in the film. And <laughs> right. And he's just like, you know, what's going on? Hey, let's all eat together. And then, you know, Stroker Ace raises an eyebrow. And arguably, they could have given us a good boom, but they don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's- yeah. Instead of, of going out on uh, a sound effect, the movie classily decides, you know what will uh, really put some uh, shine on this particular turd? A good old-fashioned bar fight scene. You know, it, why on earth a race car movie needs a bar fight? You got me. Let me, but so I want I want to interject real quick because I'm looking at my notes and, and just give me a quick sidebar after of that, course, after that scene 
where Stroker Ace is is looking like a a potential uh, rapist, and uh-huh. I say potential at this point in the film. <laughs> right, right. We then cut to a scene where Aubrey James is sitting on a uh, uh, like a, a dolly cart, like a um, uh, room service cart. <laughs> All right, and he's being pushed by. Um, Dale Earnhardt, I mean, other major legends of racing and they're, and, and the carpet is all red. The walls are red. It, 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 it just looks like, you know, like hell. The Overlook Hotel. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it just looks awful. But anyway, they're, they're racing around like a bunch of 12 year old boys. So it's like, you know, like, look at these guys. So then Stroker Ace comes up behind Aubrey James and he starts pushing him really, really fast and he slams him through a plate glass window into a swimming pool for no reason at all. Other than the fact he's just an asshole. Right. That's your reason. That's, that's it. That's all the reason he needs. That's why he can't learn nothing. It ain't because he's stupid. It's because it's not about him. He's just an asshole. So then, okay. So, so we, we cut to some bar somewhere and people are watching Stroker Ace in one of his commercials where he's dressed as a chicken. And this again has stripped him from any sense of dignity or self-worth that he has, which again, I argue that he has none to begin with. So they're laughing at him. And then as Lonnie Anderson leaves the bar, one of the guys said, and I asked a couple of people and by a couple of people, I mean, my wife, one of someone, someone says to her quote, Hey kitty, you go into your sandbox. And here's the thing. I feel like that phrase is insensitive, but I'm not exactly sure why. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, it's an, ag- <laughs> an enigma of, <laughs> I, yeah, it could, because is he telling her to go take a shit? I didn't know because if, that's not, it, offen- I mean, it's offensive, but it's not sexist and that's something. But I was thinking like, is Kitty a, a PG version of way of saying pussy? Is it something about her as a woman? Is she going to the like? I don't, I don't know. But the way that it's said is clearly misogynistic. It's offensive. It's definitely not a compliment her to 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 Lonnie Anderson's character. So then Burt Reynolds at this point becomes Popeye, and he's like, "Look, you know, you've you've uh, offended me, Goyle. So I'm gonna, you know, defend her honor." And he stands up, and then. Um, after a, a really convoluted setup that's just not worth mentioning, there's this ridiculous bar fight that harkens back to every Hal Needham movie ever. It's just like have people hilariously punch each other, slide around the floor. It's it, it's what was being made fun of in um, what was the not Hot Shots. Um, Top secret. In top secret, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in that, it's like, like, let's do a bar fight, but let's just make it ridiculous. This is the same thing without the water. <laughs> right. It, it, it's a lot of, hey, I'm going to punch this guy and turn around and somebody's going to punch me. And me and Lugs are punching the same guy at the same time. And then we both get punched. And you know, like none of it comes to anything. It doesn't matter. It's a great big pile of who cares. It's not particularly good stunt fighting. It's all right. But, you know, we live in a world where the Matrix exists. And I I don't care about a couple of dumbass cowboys punching each other in a bar in, you know, 1983 rural America, it turns out. Uh, especially with these assholes. 
that are starting it. Again, it's always the heroes of Hal Needham movies that pick the fights. So Lonnie Anderson, after having her good name defended by Stroker Ace, she decides to go up to Torkel's room and uh, to, to tell him he needs to let Stroker out of his contract. So she goes into his hotel room. And let me say that um, Red Roof Inn um, should be applauded for sponsoring this film <laughs> and providing the beautiful uh, surroundings, uh, including the stained mattresses, the soiled carpets, and the uh, cigarette smoke-filled curtains of every hotel room that's shown in this movie. So she goes into Torkel's room, and and it's hang on, hang on, Mister Needham. Well, we look, uh, we had a, a dead prostitute in here just last night. Cleaning crews fi- just now finishing up. One. Give them another twenty minutes. One dead prostitute. I specifically asked for a room that had at least two dead prostitutes. Go speak to the manager after he gets back from waking up from behind that dumpster after shooting himself up with heroin. <laughs> you got Mr. Lethal. Yeah. I, I'm like, it, it's so sad that Ned Beatty was Otis just before this movie because that's such a wonderful performance and it's so funny. And then here he is in this scene in a fucking like baby onesie hopping around the on his bed like a crazy man child well when she well, when she comes in and she says release him from the contract and he says no because i'm making a whole lot of money with him as my spokesperson good for you and at this point he <laughs> right. he has done nothing as a businessman or even just as a character in the film that is arguably uh you know nefarious and then he says, like, you know, I heard you've been running around with Stroke Race on the road, implying she's been having sex with him. Then he immediately says, you know, why don't you and I, um, in so many words, have sex? He, he snaps the strap on her dress. It really looks like, like, you know, her top falls off and shows her somewhat nude. Then he starts jumping on the bed saying, like, like, we're going to have sex. And really, I don't know if I can say, at least in a court of law, is this attempted rape? It's definitely um, some level of of assault. It's yeah, it's it's an assault for sure. I don't think it's an attempted rape just yet because there's no. I don't know where's the line. It's it's close. It skirts it. It it sees the line. I don't know if it crosses it. Maybe. It's, yeah. It's, I don't, look, I'm not. I'm not a law talking dude. I don't know. Look, I'm watching it and I'm just like, look, if, if, if I am this, this attractive blonde woman and a man is like grabbing the shoulder of my shirt, ripping off to where my top falls down, you know, it's, it, it, it's definitely, um, it's not good. And I would, I mean, it's going to court. Well, no doubt about that. It is. And then she turns around and just straight up kicks him in the dick as hard as she can. Good for you. Later in the movie, because of her character, she says she kicked him in the scrotum, which ugh, that sounds worse. You know, I kicked him in the scrotum. Um, <laughs> right. It's like it, it, rather than being kicked in the pussy, it's like saying I, I kicked her in the labia. Ugh. That is way worse. Yeah, that's awful. And then and then to make matters worse, she quits her job. So not only are his balls up in his stomach, he's, you know, without a, a, a marketing director, which let's be honest, his whole company has two employees, excuse me, including himself, three employees, his driver, Bubba Smith, which we'll get to in just a moment, and Lonnie Anderson, who's no longer on the payroll. 
Do you think Lugs isn't on the payroll? Is that how sad his life is at this point? I'm think- He's just along for the ride no matter what. I'm, I'm sp- suckling at the teat I- of Stroker Ace. I'm speaking specifically to core employees prior to bringing on Stroker Ace and Lugs and whatever unnamed characters um, work for them in the pit crew. But um, it, it, you know what? It's a family organization. <laughs> right. But the, according to the commercials, I like the one with his dad. Oh, my God. All right, so Lonnie Anderson then gets hired by Stroker Ace to work in the pit crew um, because, uh, because, and then um, Torkel. I've got the reason for that. He was like, hey, uh, I think there's a job where you can wear less clothes. Yeah, you know, it is funny because when she does go work in the pit crew, she starts wearing short shorts. Um, (laughs) Right, and like short shorts, platform heels, and and one of them booby tops. Her her knockers. So bouncing all over the joint. <laughs> junior, Ass are wriggling. Junior, hold my hat. So, so Torkel now refuses to to fire Stroker Ace. And to the best that I've been able to to diagnose this film, this is the whole conflict of the movie: is that he refuses to fire him. Torkel then takes his his uh, limousine on a ride, and he's following Stroker. And they end up crashing into a lake uh, at a law enforcement picnic, which is supposed to be for comedic effect. And it's not. It's just it's just stupid. And it's another element of this movie where here's a car chase scene where Burt Reynolds, Stroker Ace, is driving a car. Our villain is chasing him. And at the end, he ends up crashing in a in a, you know, hilariously embarrassing moment, theoretically. But it's just, it's not. It's just stupid and shitty. So why are they running from him in the first place? Are they just, was he just trying to lose them? I can't remember why it was in the, uh, that Bubba Smith was in pursuit of them. Because Hal Needham was the writer director of this film. That's it. Because the movie has no chase scenes. The only chase scenes you have involve like 28 cars in a circle. Yeah, I mean the the other moment of honesty uh, in this movie is uh, him saying like, you know, I uh, drive straight and then uh, make a left. <laughs> I hate this movie. It's terrible. It is so bad, and we haven't gotten to the worst of it yet. I know. Just, it gets I, worse. It gets so much worse. So then, so then we have a scene where Stroker Ace is in a dunk tank, sitting in a car, and people are hitting the target. And when they hit it, he flips upside down. And then, for some god-known reason, the character Doc, remember the little boy we talked about before? He's now grown up, played by John Biner, and his dad, who's played by the same guy as his kid. They show up, and they see him there, and uh, uh, they reunite. And it turns out that this uh, poor white trash uh, child has made his way to Hollywood to be an actor. Where And they say that, you know, I thought all actors were egotist, um, hypochondriacs and sissies, which again, I guess that's supposed to be a joke. It's not funny. It's just stupid. But we introduce this element, which comes into play at the end of, of how this whole thing unfolds, where he has his best friend who's an actor and, um, his dad in no longer, uh, is, is running moonshine. Instead, he's making jewelry out of shit. Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, because that's a joke in this movie. We've had a lot of dick jokes, everyone. How about we pepper in a little shit joke spice to even that flavor out? So his 
I don't know. He's making shit out of joy out of shit. And then John Biner. It's really a metaphor for the film itself. I think I think they're making films in this shit. And this one it's like we're taking something <laughs> awful and we're making something useful. And this moment is we're taking something useful and we're making something awful. <laughs> they're talking with John Biner, and John Biner was on a show called Bizarre that when I was very young used to watch and found it entertaining. I'm sure if I watched it now I would hate it. But you know, he kind of had his shtick, and it was it was during that era where someone who did voices um, could be an entertainer and a comedian. And again, I don't know if this springboarded from the success of Rich Little or other comedians of his type where you would come in and say, you know, what if the president was a used car salesman? I think it would go a little something like this. And you just sort of, you know, mash up, you know, these two disparate ideas. And it was like, well, that's funny in its, in its construct of, of putting these things together or it's attempting to be funny. Usually it wasn't. So, John Biner's in this and they're talking about being an actor and they're like, what's like being an actor? And he was like, he says, um, you know, I, I do this, but I do voices and they think I sound like somebody else. And he starts singing chances are, and I looked up kind of like the version of chances are that they play in this movie. And he sounds nothing like any of them. He just sounds like a guy, you know, just like, like haughtily singing this song, trying to impress people, but just instead sound, sounding like, you know, just, just a dickhead. Yeah, well, unsurprisingly, Stroke Race's best pals are kind of assholes, too. Uh, one of them working directly with feces, so that's and the nice. other And the other is a, is, is a low-rent Hollywood actor. This is all, right. all coming into focus. Yeah, I mean, it, getting him to do this Johnny Mathis impression... Is like somebody trying to get me to do my Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, you can tell it's Jimmy Stewart, <laughs> but I'm the only one really enjoying it. We've spent the better part of an hour building up this movie um, to quite possibly the most famous scene in the film. <laughs> is it famous? I don't remember it, and I don't know. I've heard people talk about it, and now that I've seen it, it's burned into my brain as an adult. So we've spent the last hour building up to what is the most infamous scene in this movie. <laughs> we get back to a hotel room and Lonnie Anderson, who earlier says, I don't drink cause I'm a Sunday school teacher. Then she drinks once. And then now she's a full on raging alcoholic. <laughs> Lonnie Anderson yeah. is, is, is knowingly and admittedly drunk she, and she's cool with it. She's like, I know you got me drunk, but you know what? We're, we're good. And Burt Reynolds. It runs in my family. <laughs> Tee hee. It's fine. It's, I should finally accept it, I guess. So then she and Stroker are talking. It's going to be a lot of late mornings <laughs> for me now. So she and Stroker out on this balcony in the moonlight. And he's, he's playing chances are on some sort of, uh, cassette tape, uh, boom box. And she looks at Stroker Ace and she tells him, quote, that she wants him. And she's really horned up. And Stroker Ace is like, this is it. You know, thank you, God. I'm finally going to get to have sex with this, this vision. And she, I have finally tricked her. Right. I've gotten <laughs> drunk sex. enough. You know, like, like, like I've bamboozled my way into her underwear. So she walks into the house. <laughs> Not that, excuse me. She walks into the, into the, the, the hotel room 
And, and she immediately has passed out on the bed and stroke race comes in and he, and he, he talks to her for a few moments and then he says, you know what? I'm just going to leave you here and, and, and be a gentleman. And right. we then be the, uh, the hero. This movie needs. Correct. We then cut to the next scene is something I wish I could say, but I can't because <laughs> stroke race comes back into frame and he peeks in, he peeks in yes, the frame. He, Let's not forget that. Like he does a real like, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> and it's at the second hello level that he peeks into the shot. <laughs> It's just like, well, I mean, I did go to all the trouble of tricking you into getting drunk. Yes. And he says, I can't leave you here fully clothed because if you, if you fall asleep with all of your clothes on, you'll wake up and you'll feel uncomfortable. So let me start to undress you. And then he, he begins to undo her clothes, specifically her top and, you know, exposes her top and her bra. And at this point, I think that arguably that's that's full on sexual assault. Yeah, a hundred percent. Right. But then he's like, you know what? He says, you know what? He was like, we're 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 good. You know, you're you're not going to be sleeping in your clothes. And then he leaves. And then again, we cut to the next scene, which is something I wish I could say, but I can't because he peeks back into frame, and he comes in and says, you know what? I just I just need to have a little look. Which is so gross. Yeah. Hey, Hal, uh, keep the camera rolling. I got an idea on how to make this creepier. <laughs> what I kept thinking about was, I kept thinking in this whole scene, I really hope that they gave Lonnie Anderson some sort of Bill Cosby like like drug that literally rendered her unconscious. Yeah, you know, I, I hope so, too. That you were not forced as a woman to lay on this bed in your in your underwear while this man undressed you and cracked incredibly unfunny jokes at your expense. So he un, he undoes her top the first go round. Then he comes back in and he says, you know what? He was like, um, one of his lines is this would be so much more fun if you were here. Which I got right. I don't think that's the first time he's ever said that out loud. Oh, of course not. That that is that line is what he calls old faithful. <laughs> you know what that is? There's that's, also that, that's plausible deniability. <laughs> yeah. There's also this is the first time I've ever done this. I'm he all- said that twenty seven times now. There's uh this would be a lot more fun uh on your stomach. Mm-hmm. Little creepier. Right. Yeah, I, no, the guy's got a, a repertoire. I had a vasectomy eight years ago. Right. No, I didn't poke holes in this condom. Yeah, he's uh, he, he's got... I, he, he has revenge impregnated someone at some point. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. <laughs> right. I wonder how you got pregnant. I had the rubber on. So so he, he opens her clothes, and she's laying there um, with just her underwear on, you know, fully exposed. And then he he makes the comment, quote, I could just ravish you and who would know? Then he looks up at the camera with this this one eyebrow like like, you know, like <laughs> like 
only you and I are in on this little secret, right? And you're not going to tell anybody. And it's, it, it, for me, I was just like, don't, you don't pull me into this. Like, I, <laughs> I'm not condoning you're raping this woman who's unconscious. I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, auteur filmmaker Michael Haneke's, uh, funny games. The point of that film is that, uh, our interest in seeing a violent film somehow makes us complicit in the violence taking place on screen. It's a very good film. I would, I would say that Stroker Ace, not a good film, just for the record, uh, is attempting something like this where if we're all in on it, it it's like if, uh, that, uh, I'll always know what you did last summer kind of thing where we, it's like we, the audience and Burt Reynolds all hit a homeless person together. And we've, we've now created a bond, a pact to never speak of this again. I think that's a valid point for me. It was, <laughs> it was more akin to when Apu looked into the big oversized cowboy hat and admitted that he put hot dogs back on the roller when they touched the floor. Um, <laughs> like don't, don't make me like, you know, like a, a part of your horrible, horrible crime just by, you know, giving me a glance or confessing. Like, I don't want to hear this and, and cut away for the love of God for like, you've left the scene three times and you keep coming back to make it worse. Please just go away now. I don't want to see any more of this. So, um, the scene ends and, uh, that's the last we, we hear of this horrible, horrible assault. Again, it's something I wish I could say. <laughs> yeah. All right. But before, before we get into this moment, it leads me to a question <laughs> that I think we both know the answer to. All right. Is Hal Needham the Brett Ratner of the late 70s and early 80s? That's a good question. I'm, you know, I'm going to say no because I think Hal Needham is more talented than Brett Ratner. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. All right. Yeah. I saw that last <laughs> X Men movie. You're probably right about that. I might watch Stro Stroker Ace before I see that mess again. Right. So we go to the next morning. And Burt Reynolds is bringing Lonnie Anderson, like, something to drink, like orange juice or something. And then uh, Lonnie Anderson uh, asks him, um, did anything happen last night? And in the most haunting moment in this film, he looks at her and says, you wouldn't know. And then Lonnie Anderson says, I guess not. To which she's crying wait, during this. And then Stroker A says, you guess not? Like, he's like, 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 I need to know. Do you know if something happened or it didn't? And then she's, and then she's like, no. To which Stroker Ace, Burt Reynolds says, like, if you watch this, I've watched this scene 10 times. And if you watch it through the lens that he full on raped her, his face is full of guilt and shame and remorse and regret. And, and like, and, and fear of the afterlife, which we'll get into when we talk about all dogs go to heaven. He looks at her. <laughs> the natural scene. He does. Yeah. Dude, he looks at her and he just goes, uh, yeah, nothing happened. And, and in that moment, it's full on, man, he raped her last night. 
Well, all right. Let me give you the the evil side B of this particular forty five. Lugs was involved. <laughs> no, oh. although maybe sounds like a party. He's either regretting uh, the act of raping her. That that expression. The horrifying alternative is that look of regret and shame and sorrow is that he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) He's a horrible human being either way. (laughs) Yeah, he might be the devil. (laughs) This movie got so much better. Oh. All right, so the reason we know that Lugs wasn't involved, or either that or he's he's an Academy Award-winning actor. He comes in, he's talking with Lonnie Anderson. She's crying because she was raped the night before or something. <laughs> right, just stamping it down. <laughs> Stamp it down, Lonnie. Stamp it down. He, he comes in, she's crying, and, and he and, and she's she's weeping through her words. And, and here's the thing. Lugs doesn't even need the words. He knows straight up what happened. He, he Oh, yeah. One look at her crying. He's like, I know. That's all he needs. He's seen that before numerous times. And yeah, he just knows this one. Better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's seen those tears. And so he he goes over and Lugs goes over while Stroker Ace is on the phone with Doc and punches him out, um, which doesn't account or doesn't amount to anything. He just he just hits him. But then. Well, yeah, no. And it, like Stroker never realizes it was Lugs at all and blames his nemesis Parker Stevenson, Aubrey James, for for this. I mean, mean, like you said, it comes to nothing. But I guess it's worth pointing out there's there's a Three's Company style misunderstanding at the root of it. Right. But I don't remember the episode where Jack raped Chrissy and Janet thought that that it didn't really happen when it did. (laughs) Right. Janet comes in and Chrissy's on the couch crying. Cause no, everything's great with Jack. It's, it's this movie's awful. All right. Oh, I, I I tripped over the ottoman into Chrissy. So somehow Stroker Ace has come up with this plan, which uh, this is, he no he didn't. He comes up with this plan and he's talking with his buddy Doc, who went from from redneck to to you know uh, Doc Hollywood. And what they're going to do is they're going to send him over in the guise as a representative from the Miller Beer Company. Take that course. And they're going <laughs> yeah. to they're going to pretend that he wants to buy Torkel's um, chicken pit. And in this scene where where they're in Torkel's office and Doc, again, his lifetime friend is there dressed in a suit uh, for the first time ever, I'm assuming. Um, he's talking to him and he offers him 10% above what his company's worth. But then Torkel kind of smells something funny when, when, uh, Doc orders a Dr. Pepper as his beverage of choice at 10 a.m. in the morning. And when you watch the movie, you really think he's like, uh oh, he's onto them. He knows that this is a ruse because this man who works for a, a Miller beer company would clearly be a raging alcoholic. Um, in the, the post dawn hours of the day, as opposed right. to drinking, you know, a, a soft drink to get a little caffeine in him. Well, one of the seven, seven habits of highly effective people is morning drinking. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, I can, yeah. I can check that off my list. Uh, it's things. That it's I- why, uh, all the characters on Mad Men were so happy. 
<laughs> so when he thinks there's a rat there, then Torkel kind of in his own, you know, buffoonery way, um, thinks that maybe Miller beer is going to buy Dr. Pepper. And we kind of lead up to this point, which, which is sort of a, a staple of how Needham, uh, Burt Reynolds films where the movie needs to be a race against time. We have to have a moment where something needs to happen by a particular moment or else, you know, everything falls apart. So in this, we come up with a plot device where, um, Torkel must let, uh, doc pretending to be the head of the Miller beer company, um, know by 4 PM on, uh, uh, the final race of the season as to whether or not he will sell his company to Miller beer. And if he does sell his company, he has to fire stroker ACE, letting him out of his contract and everyone is happy. Have I missed anything there, Bo? No, uh, other than the fact that the only time you get a deal like this these days is when some sort of uh, prince from a far-off continent is like, look, I have a deal for you. You can't tell anyone about it, and whatever you do, don't verify any of the things I'm telling you. But have I got a deal for you? But here's here's where the plan falls apart. Stroker Ace is the one who comes up with it. He tells Doc to put on a suit, go in and pretend to do all of this. And then when Doc comes back and says, hey, look, I got him to agree for 4 p.m. on the last day of the race. And Stroker Ace is pissed off because they're like, look, he'll never fire me before the end of the racing season. And Doc is like, look, I tried my best. I tried my best. And then he's he's like well look maybe i can uh, uh i can fix this here's the thing that that i don't understand stroker ace has two choices he can either for this final race he can either lose the race and torkel will fire him so he's out of the contract okay but in that scenario he will be embarrassed and it would be you know a knock against his pride of which he has none Okay, right. so that's clearly the the path of, of least resistance or he wins the final race. Okay, and he is the grand champion of, of NASCAR and is making a ton of money and continues to make television commercials for uh, a chicken restaurant and makes more money or, and, you know, and, and continues to grow in his career and make more money. Right, and potentially maybe even reinvest some of that money into his own company. Like, there are so many ways this could go well for Stroker Ace if he just wasn't an asshole for about 90 seconds. No. If he could hang on to it that long. There's no tension in this movie. Especially in finale. It's just like, it doesn't matter. Win, lose, who cares? It does not matter. There is nothing on the line in the finale of this film. (laughs) Right. Kind of either way, he's fine. And I guess that's the real lesson of this film is that, uh, hey, Stroker lands on his feet. I, I, I guess so. So, so, so we go into the final race. And they're going around and, and Lugs and Stroker are talking about the incredibly difficult choices of, of, you know, coming out ahead or being multimillionaires. And, and, uh, Stroker's like, you know what? I'm not going to lose. He lets his pride get in the way to which Lugs tells him it's humiliating. And, uh, Stroker Ace is, is, is going to, 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 to throw it and then therefore be fired and, and out of his contract. However, he does not know that Doc, has surreptitiously um, uh, recruited his father, who makes jewelry out of shit, 
to to wear um, another suit and go up into the the press box and talk to Torkel and say we need an answer by four o'clock. That's that's like the moment that is 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 pure genius. Like send in this um, this old man who has one line of dialogue and that will strong harm him into uh, uh, being really uncomfortable and let him know we mean business. I mean, we are the Miller Brewing Company. We're not. Right. We are not. We have an army of old men to send out. You to the have field. no idea. We're not Coors Beer. Do you understand what we're talking about? We are Miller. This is the big time. You can get this beer coast to coast. This isn't some regional shitty hop water. What purpose? Do, like what? What? What is the strong arm tactic here? Of like, look, he could fall asleep, and it's going to be really distracting in, for most of the race. In, in all, in all seriousness, I'm just kidding. In this movie, what I thought about was it has whiffs of the sting. Do you know what I mean? Of where you come in and you take <laughs> right. characters that are pretending to be other characters to dupe uh, our, our, you know, kind of our our mark. And even the way the reveal happens, which we'll get into a moment, goes down. It feels very, you know, sting-ish. It, it feels like a con, but there's no con. Right. They're just lying to someone, and he's stupid enough to believe. Right. It's like if, if I close both my hands and I tell you, hey, guess which one has the penny in it? And you pick one, and I'm like, no, but neither of them had a penny. Like, yeah, I was just fucking with you the whole time. Like, I just made that shit up. Like, you, like you're just a dumbass. And, well, guess what? I'm kind of a dumbass and an idiot, too. There was no out. Like, this is just this is just stupid. It's the sting if the plot of the sting was that Robert Redford and Paul Newman insist to Robert Shaw that they're they're high stakes gamblers and he's and he's just like, Okay, that's fine. Come play yeah, here, take some of my money. There there is no there is no discrimination and I, I, I guess in a weird way it almost makes the Ned Beatty character more childish and innocent. In that he is incredibly gullible, along with being, you know, a stickler for a contract. I guess. I I, I think everyone in this in this film is is just like just mentally retarded. I mean, nothing that they do. Like, I'm surprised that they they have driver's licenses, let alone are allowed to drive cars. I don't understand how they're able to file their income taxes or pay their bills. They they don't seem like people that would be capable of making a box of macaroni and cheese. They're just individuals that are fathomly stupid. Except kind of for Lonnie Anderson for half the movie. Until she gets raped, and then just the the shame and horror of it all reduces her to just being the cheerleader on the sidelines. Like, that's all she does at the end of this movie, yes. as we're wrapping things up, is when Stroker Ace is like, you know what? I'm going to win. Right, which the, and the then, whole reason he decides to win is because Aubrey, his quote you know competition bumps him in the back and he's like i'm gonna win this race and i'm gonna be a millionaire and i'm gonna make all this money sponsoring a chicken company it's like well you know okay and then torkel is happy um that he's gonna make him more money so at that point you're like movie's over in credits we're good to go right but then aubrey causes this you know huge wreck and in the wreck there, there again throughout this movie there have been numerous Smokey and the Bandit references but the one that that just just 
pissed me off is during the big wreck, um, the camera holds on a car that uh, Skull Bandit Chewing Tobacco is the sponsor. And it holds on this car for like a good, it's like two to three seconds. And it's just, it's just the word bandit on the screen. And it's just like, really? That, that's what we're doing now. You know what I mean? Like, like it's, it, yeah, that's some MK ultra shit where they're like, Hey, subliminally remember this better movie. It, it, and it's, it, and it's not even if it's a better movie. It's just, it's just awful. So the big wreck happens and we get down to like four racers and, I, and, and, you know, we're going to go into the, the, the final, uh, you know, one or two laps in the pit, the Jack breaks. And then Bubba Smith, we haven't really talked a lot about him because he's, He's inconsequential to this film. Bubba Smith, who is this this very tall, you know, former NFL player, comes out and picks up the car and helps him out because he wants to be part of the winning team, which good for Bubba Smith. It, it led to a arguably maybe a, a bigger and better career. So Stroke Race gets on the track and they're going around and um, Stroke Race looks like he's not going to win. And so Torkel, again, immediately flip flops and he's like, you know what? I'm just going to sell the company to hell with it. So he tells Doc's dad, I'm going to sell the company. He then runs down to tell the press corps, I've fired Stroke Race. He's free and clear. We can let him go. Now, again, I don't know if this is legally binding. <laughs> I don't think it is. I'm pretty sure just saying some shit uh, is not equivalent to, you know, your signature on some form canceling a contract. That's what I thought. But he, he, cause he spouts it off and he says it in front of a bunch of people, they're like, why would you fire him? He's now in second place. And he turns around like, burn, you know, like, what have I done? Right. So the- <laughs> after his announcement of, I break with thee, I break with thee. And, but uh, like, this goes to the larger point of what is the fear here if he's agreed? If he, yes, he's told the press. Hey, I, I'm going to cancel his contract. I, I'm letting him out. And then he finds out he's been duped. Why not just say, I'm okay, then I'm, I'm going back seas on this right. and I'm not canceling the contract and there's nothing you can do about it. And then if he's worried about saving face, you go, you go to the press and say, Oh yeah, it just turns out that my driver is a great big fat liar liar with a bunch of lying criminal friends right. that tried to get one over on me. And now the contract is going to be a way more draconian than it ever would have been. This movie's terrible. <laughs> so, so stroke race and Aubrey James are the final two. There's zero tension and who's going to win. I mean, it's, it's, it's like watching the Harlem Globetrotters and the Washington generals pay. I mean, it's just, it's just like, Oh my gosh, who will possibly win this race? And in the finale, Stroker Ace gets hit. Um, he flips upside down and, and goes across the finish line upside down, which is, I, I think, supposed to be hilariously wacky, but it's not. It's just stupid. Um, it, in the winner circle, um, Torkel then goes up and tells Stroker Ace that he is officially fired, which again, I do not think is legally binding. And then Doc and Doc's dad, who makes jewelry out of shit, show up and they're kind of like winking at him, like, remember us? You know, we've pulled a fast one. And then. Right, but now they're dressed like criminals again and not business people. No, 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 no. They, yeah, they, they, got, they got out of their, their clothes and they put on their, um, their overalls and cowboy hats. And so, so then Stroker Aches and Lugs then turn around and, and both simultaneously punch Torkel in the face. 
And, and that's in front of everyone. And again, I've never filed a lawsuit in my life, but, but that's assault. And, and yeah, you don't have to file a lawsuit on that one. That's a criminal offense. That's assault and battery. That's like, that's five. They're going to go to jail for this. And then for some weird reason, there's this huge balloon release at the end of the film because it's like, hooray, our heroes have won. And as the camera pans out, if you look briefly, you can see Torkel is still laying on the ground, um, unconsciously like, like lifeless and, and, and in able of, of movement. So, I think he might either be dead or paralyzed. And again, that's really going to compound any sort of, of legal action that may be taken by his corporation. I, I think that the, 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 the follow-up of stroke race is really just a series of lawsuits and <laughs> legal proceedings and like, you know, uh, televised confessionals from people who knew him. it ends. It ends very badly. And then here's, here's the kicker is that at the end of this movie, there is a series of outtakes and the outtakes are not funny. They are, they are the, the least funny outtakes you will ever see in any movie ever. There's not a joke. The only moment in the film that is even remotely funny is the very, very end where Hal Needham is interviewing a chimpanzee and it's just a, a, a shitty, awful ending to a, a derivative, craptastic, self-serving, just asshole-filled piece of shit movie. Well, I disagree, Chad, of course. <laughs> uh, I think the, the real uh, takeaway from this movie, beyond the rape, um, and, and especially in this last credit sequence, is... Jerry Reed being the one truth sayer as ever, uh, on this film where he surprised and he surprises everyone, uh, or I'm sure Hal Needham knows he was going to show up, but it's the scene where they're shooting the chicken commercial and he just pops out from behind a hay bale. I assume he was living behind and that's where he sleeps. There's a sleeping bag, a Coleman stove and, and numerous cans of van camps beanie weenies just strewn about yeah a, a lot of uh, copper kettles and and pans um but yeah he just hops out from behind this hay bale and it's just like hey y'all making a movie in here what's going on i, I gotta tell you uh, it's director is crap and these stars and this writing and you're like yes you're right jerry reed i know you're making a joke now but you are 100 percent correct and i think deep down you know it so that is stroker ace um in all of its glory <laughs> It's it's a terrible movie. I I can't recommend it to anyone. Um, I do recommend one scene where a guy uh, makes his asshole talk in protest of Stroker Ace losing. But other than that, the rest of the movie is absolutely awful. All right, yeah, we'll uh, see if that's available on YouTube. Yeah, I'll see if I can link it in the show. Notes. If, if not, if not, I'll do my best to make that happen. So you can see the ass referenced in the show at the following location. <laughs> I, but that is the perfect metaphor for this movie. It is half-assed, to be sure. That's that's certainly true. So uh, what do we have coming up on uh, on the next episode, Bo? Do you know what's uh, uh, third in line for this series? Yeah, next week we are going to have uh, maybe the worst animated film of all time, question mark. I mean, it remains to be seen. At any rate, it's All Dogs Go to Heaven, uh, starring one Burt Reynolds and uh, Dom DeLuise and... Uh, you know, just for a little 
extra spice, one Vic Tabak. So go ahead and Google that name in preparation uh, for the next episode. It's fantastic. I cannot wait. Yeah, until next time, we will uh, see you then. This is Pick Six Movies, and um, check us out uh, next week. Bye.